Welcome to the Think Data podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide. They will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And in today's episode, we welcome Sergio Shermer to the show. Um, Sergio is the founder and CEO of Radio Life, and they are a early stage startup in the world of AI and health diagnostics. Super interesting product, really interesting backstory, which I know Sergio will kind of bring to life later in the show. But uh, their product is very unique because it uses radio frequency technology and artificial intelligence to really help improve the understanding of diseases and then subsequent patient care. So quite unique on the show today because we've got not just kind of a software-led product here. We actually have a physical product. And for those who will be watching on the uh, the YouTube channel, um, they'll be able to see the actual product. But for those listening, we will obviously do our best to describe it. So welcome to the show, Sergio. And uh, thanks again for taking the time out this morning. Um, appreciate we've had the holiday season. Um, I know you've not necessarily come from this the health background in terms of practicing health, but you obviously launched Radio Life. You're at the earliest stages of bringing this product to market. So do you mind kind of summarizing you know a brief background to who you are and kind of what ultimately brought you here today sure first thank you for having me um um i'm i really appreciate the invitation uh and i'm happy to share you know my uh journey until uh we get here uh, i have a computer science background and uh my early uh career life i I was in the telecom space. I uh, built a, a telecommunications startup in back in 2005. And then I sold the company after three years. Um, and it was uh, really when the uh, voice over internet protocol was uh, gaining moment uh, when I sold the company. Um, but I always had, you know, that feeling because we are all patients at some point in our lives, that diagnostics are not ideal, that something should change. Uh, I always had that in the back of my mind, but you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a background in, in uh, medicine. Uh, so it really, I really started uh, getting more familiar with the uh, health space. When I came to the United States in 2014, I started working with uh, health tech startups in the Silicon Valley and uh, really, um, you know, got interested in the space and started to learning more about the pain points. Um, and um, it, it, re it really went, was the moment where I decided to uh, create Radio Life uh, when 
we were hit by the pandemic. So we incorporated mm-hmm. real life in 2021. Wow. And uh, basically what we did was, you know, use our all, all our experience in uh, telecommunications and radio frequency and combining that with AI uh, and our knowledge in, in computer science to improve diagnostics, thinking of, you know, the future of diagnostics. So our mission is to reshape the future of diagnostics. Fascinating backstory. And I know obviously kind of the timing, whether it's kind of fortunate timing or uh, misfortunate timing, the kind of the pandemic. But when you came to launch or the the idea was conceived, you know, can you talk us through kind of the steps you took? Because as I mentioned at the, the, the top of the show, you're kind of, it is a unique, uh, you know, interview for me in the sense there's actually a physical product here, uh, which has its own set of challenges. But then obviously factoring in RF technology and artificial intelligence, there's a whole multitude of kind of considerations here. But what was the what was the first step? So idea conceived. So what, what what was the next step? Yeah. So the first thing is uh, two things that are uh, were most important uh, in the beginning was secure the uh, IP, secure the, the, the technology. Um, and the second one was to make a proof of concept that so that we could, could show people that we had the potential to make it work and get to the market. Uh, so that those were the two pillars in the beginning that drove uh, everything we did. Uh, and then we uh, were able to get our our uh, patent grant in 2022. Uh, that was uh, really good for you know our ability to be able to share more details of how our technology works. Um, and yeah, you know also you know be, be able to build the prototype as it is right now. Uh, it evolved in the beginning. It was uh, cube. Yep. And then, and then we change the shape and we improve the components inside. But basically what we have in uh, th- this hardware is a biosensor that uh, we are able to put a, a liquid sample in a test tube. And then we scan that uh, uh, test tube, that sample with hundreds of frequencies in the telecommunications range. And for each frequency, we are measuring the absorption rate uh, and the phase and then we, of course, because we're using so many parameters, it's impossible for a human to make sense of that data. Mm. We need to use AI to be able to uh, determine and, and match those signatures with our cloud database. Interesting. I know we talked about this before so we hopped on just now about the unique part of this, because obviously diagnostic machines, uh, they're, they're, they're commonplace in any healthcare establishment, uh, any uh, you know medical institution, but what part does kind of artificial intelligence play in this and how, how are you kind of positioning this to the market um, as a unique product? Yeah, so basically we use machine learning uh, in two moments. The first moment is when we're training that because what we built is a platform for right. uh, diagnosing uh, a variety of diseases. Um, we don't have yet uh, regulatory approval. Uh, this, this is a, a long journey. We can talk about it uh, right. later. Uh, but the, the idea is that we built a platform that on top of that, we can develop diagnostic tests for a variety of diseases. And uh, most importantly, uh, those tests, uh, they don't require reagents 
and the results can uh, come in under 20 seconds. Wow. Uh, so as opposed that, to sending off the lab. Yes. And, but it, to do that, we use uh, machine learning in two moments. Uh, first, when we are training the platform with whatever uh, disease we are, for example, we did uh, a preliminary study with COVID. So we trained our platform with uh, of thousands of samples uh, that were negative and positive for COVID, right? And then capturing all that signature, those signatures that I mentioned, and uh, using machine learning to establish the patterns of what a positive sample looks like. Um, and the, so that's the first moment, and that outputs uh, a prediction model, right? And, uh, and then we use that prediction model. Uh, later, we upload that uh, model in the device so we can perform diagnostic tests uh, on the go without uh, needing to be connected. So that's yeah. the second moment we, we, we use the machine learning, when it's like onboarded in the machine. And I think you touched an interesting point you kind of, you earlier. So this kind of underpins the product and obviously using it in two different uh, ways at the moment. And we, I know AI is, being frank, it's kind of this, uh, it's a buzzword now, which is almost so, almost too broad, a bit too generic, which if you think AI kind of five, six years ago, machine learning has been around for a long time, you know, a number of years, yeah. but the the phrase AI is obviously relatively commonplace now. In terms of the rate that AI is moving, and how do you keep on top of the relevant technologies, tooling, uh, kind of concepts, whilst also producing a physical product that can over time can age quite quickly? How, how, do, you, how do you put the two together and make sure you are really at the forefront of AI? Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge. It's something that, uh, you know, there's no formula. I think uh, we have to be constantly uh, looking at uh, uh, innovations and, and new uh, algorithms um, and leveraging partnerships. I think as early stage uh, uh, company, it's super important because we don't have the uh, financial resources to hire the best of the best uh, engineers. Uh, so, for example, we we received a grant from the Institute of Experiential AI uh, to uh, help us develop um, a machine learning uh, uh, algorithm for uh, E. coli test. Right? Wow! Okay, uh, and then the, the, that's really interesting because E. coli um, for the diagnostic test for E. coli. The, it, Usually, the, the market standard turnaround time for the results uh, ranges from 24 hours to 48 hours. And if we're able to uh, prove that our platform can detect E. coli um, with accuracy, then we can reduce the, the turnaround time to 20 seconds. That, that's going to be huge. And the E. coli market is estimated to hit $3 billion by 2030. So it's a significant market. Um, so I think it's really like, uh, you know, be constantly uh, looking at what are the best algorithms that outputs the best results, uh, continuously testing, you know, and, and um, you know, it's like failing uh, and improving, failing, mm -hmm. improving repeatedly until you find the best. 
Yeah. It's that kind of test and learn strategy, isn't it? You're kind of always you testing. And I'm guessing, assuming here, but a lot of things haven't worked, but it's by learning by those failures and things that haven't worked means you're in a position now. And I'm interesting to t- touch on that regulatory piece because I know getting a product, especially a physical product to market with chronic disease, chronic disease detection, or it's within any form of, uh, you know, treatment and diagnosis, it comes with a huge amount of regulation, especially in the United States, where you've got this number of states. How are you approaching that? Are you, you know, because that, that for anyone is going to blow a lot of people's minds thinking, you know, getting a product to market in the US sounds like you've made it, but actually trying to do it is Super challenge. So talk me through the steps. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and I'm, I'm learning as we're going. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to, you know, know everything I know now uh, once we started, because um, I yeah. could have avoided a lot of uh, uh, waste. Mm. Uh, but basically, it is expensive and, and it takes a long time. And, uh, you know, if you look at the medical advice space, you, you average is like five years uh, uh, to ten to get a medical advice approved and uh, being commercialized. And our company has only three years. And so the, the really the biggest challenge is like how you survive uh, yeah. all this time, right? Because you can't sell until you get regulatory approval. Uh, so we have two uh, strategies. The first strategy is, is we are leveraging R&D resources uh, from uh, non-dilutive grants. Uh, we started doing that uh, last year. Um, first, we were approved in the RU uh, Institute Accelerator Program, which was really good yeah. uh, for our company. And then we got the Institute of Experiential AI grant. We we also received the Main Technology Institute grant. Uh, we're trying NSF, BARDA, and others, uh, and using the resor- those resources to continue developing our technology uh, and you know supporting our company until we're able to commercialize. Uh, also, we are open to uh, bringing private investors in, but it, it's hard. Uh, we ha- we're having a hard time, I think, uh, in the economy. Uh, and you know, I think the investors are just having more scrutiny and uh, not really investing much in uh, medical device companies that are uh, early stage and, and, and pre-revenue. Uh, right. So we're focusing on... on uh, developing the technology, but open to private investors as well. And the second thing that we are looking at is uh, because uh, we have uh, innovative technology that is able to save lives, uh, we are, uh, might be able to get uh, the FDA breakthrough designation. Uh, and that opens up a lot of possibilities uh, and uh, in terms of optimizing our regulatory strategy. Um, I think it helps because we're go- going to work closely with the agency to establish what's the best path for our regulatory approval. I see. So they almost give you the advice and guidance to ensure you're in the best possible position to get that approval because your product is directly relating to saving lives. So basically it's almost like a fast track because they say, well, you know, we need we need to look into this and make sure provided the product's good, they get the approval. 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'm um in terms of you looking at you, you kind of touched something interesting there. I wish you'd you'd wish you'd known what you know now, and then you kind of avoided a lot of time, not so much wasted, because you know, you're kind of learning all the time. But there's a lot of people who listen to this who are entrepreneurs or or see themselves as a founder. If you go back to kind of Sergio three, four years ago, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I know that uh, there are many people that will be listening to us that are not in the healthcare space, yeah. and some will be in the healthcare space. Uh, so there's a little bit of a difference there, uh, because the first advice I would give to anyone is like get revenue as soon as you can. You yeah, know? because that will help you with you know, supporting your company financially and also will help you with the conversations with investors. That's they usually is one of the first questions they do, like what's your revenue? And if you don't have any, then you have to show all the other tractions that you have and it might not be as willing to invest. Mm. But if you are on the medical device space, there's nothing you can do to have revenues, right? Uh, so... In, in our case, um, what I would have done differently from the beginning is getting, uh, you know, trying to get investments, uh, try continues because I, I, I didn't try to bring investors in in the beginning. Uh, I had money from my exit from my, the telecom um, uh, company that I sold. And I thought, with that money, I was going to be able to bring the company up to commercialization, which was uh, very naive from <laughs> my side, honestly. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, eh? <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, I, you know, no one is going to believe on, on this until I can prove it works. So I decided to invest and, and not look for an investor. So first advice, you know, even if it's hard, try to you know, sell your idea to investors, bring uh, external investors in if you can. And if you can't, you know, try to get uh, non-dilutive grants. And there are many uh, resources out there, like I said, NSF, BARDA, and, you know, um, different grants, regional grants that you can leverage to um, do your research and development until you get the regulatory approval. Some some good advice there, and it's uh, I think he is you you're right in what you're saying. It's such a unique space, such a unique use case, and such a unique set of challenges. Being in medical and diagnostics, and dealing with such uh, sort of strict regulatory kind of frameworks. But well, so when so assuming things go well, you get the approval. What typically happens at that point to you? Because is it similar to like a you know, a commercial product where you would have a go-to-market strategy and you'd, have a, you'd be selling into uh, health institutions or would you sell into more, uh, you know, would you try and exit? What, what's the typical approach, uh, preempting an approval and, and you're ready to license this product? Yeah, it really varies. Uh, you know, it really depends on the business model. In our case, uh, our uh, early adopters will be laboratories. Yep. And now uh, we are already, you know, looking at partnerships with laboratories. Uh, we have NDAs, uh, letter of support signed with some laboratories. 
that basically they're going to be our uh, first clients once we get the regulatory approval. And uh, in our strategy, uh, we can grow super quickly once we get the regulatory approval because of these partnerships. Yeah. For example, I, I'm just going to uh, say a few names like United States, we have like Quest, Lab4, you know, uh, in Maine, we have Nordex that uh, is partnering with us. If we um, have this kind of partnerships and we get the regulatory approval, we do a, a pilot for a few months in a regional laboratory. And then if successful, then we can quickly expand to all the other laboratories in uh, the, that brand. Um, so that's our approach. It really depends like, it, you know, if what's the uh, business model of each case, uh, but that's how we are um, uh, approaching ours. I see. It, it almost like it's such a kind of a test. I suppose one of the things you could have said to yourself when you were starting out is be patient because I guess for you, it's uh, the frustration, not necessarily frustration, but the time it takes to get this product potentially into that uh, laboratory, seeing the results, you know, you need to be quite resilient. So how, how are you keeping yourself on track with that? Because you don't really have an end date in mind. So how are you uh, ensuring that each day you're, you're kind of getting online you're, and there is progress? What does progress look like? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I think it's like we need to really be stubborn, yeah, <laughs> and believe like on the vision. I I always have I I I have a hundred percent certainty that what we're envisioning is gonna happen mm. with us or without us, you know. So there's a strong belief that what we're doing is going to happen and it's important. Uh, for the world, for life, yeah. uh, makes us, uh, it makes it easy for us to be stubborn, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. Uh, but also, I, I usually say uh, that Brazilians are, are known for never never giving up. <laughs> so we keep <laughs> going right, yeah. until we make it. <laughs> yeah, it's no surprise you exited your last company and you, you, you had the opportunity through your own work to have the capital to put into this and you kind of see this, hopefully see this through. And I, I kind of going back to a point you said earlier, but in terms of the patenting, because I see what happens, what we typically see, especially in AI at the moment, there's a lot of reiterations of someone else's product coming out because obviously, you know, they've got the you know, Gen AI, you know, this kind of all solving the same problem, but with just a different wraparound and a different skin. What have you patented? So is it the concept? Is it the, is it, is there something specific which stops say a larger company with huge pockets coming in and saying, we're just going to do something similar, but we've got billions to throw at this. Uh, basically, the use of uh, radio frequency to resonate with pathogens. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, that's uh, in our patent. Uh, but it, in terms of patent, uh, um, intellectual property in general, mm -hmm. uh, it's something that we have to be constantly working on and yeah. uh, thinking on uh, scope, increasing the scope, thinking uh, in the future, like, because as we're definitely going to make changes and improvements on, on our products, so creating new products, for example. Mm -hmm. So we have to be constantly thinking uh, upfront 
what's going to happen in the next three, five, ten years, and uh, put that in uh, a patent application, provisional application, uh, yeah. to make sure that we we have a thorough uh, protection, as well as geographical. It's something uh, 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 another thing that we need to uh, um, make sure that we um, look at is like what countries uh, we're gonna protect, and it's expensive as well. Yeah, I've heard it is. I've got no experience in this, but I've heard from colleagues or people that uh, know people in the product development space. You know, trying to protect, for example, say China or China or the Far East, or you know, other countries from effectively copying your product. Um, it's very, very hard to do. But obviously, I'm guessing with all the FDA work you're doing and how specific your product is to actually then get a copied product into market is 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 non impossible. So it sounds like you put the uh, put the right things in place. And so so obviously you're in a bit of a holding pattern. You're obviously still working, you know, tirelessly. But what 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 is next over the next kind of six twelve months for you? Yeah. So now we are working. Uh, extensively in getting some uh, non-dilutive grants approved. Uh, we're trying a few uh, options uh, to be able to continually develop our um, diagnostic model for E. coli and also biomarkers. Um, so it, it's uh, one thing that's important as well when we talk about diagnostics for some diseases or chronic diseases. Uh, we don't have pathogens in place. Uh, it, we're analyzing other things uh, in, in the system, uh, either through a blood analysis or uh, urine analyze, analysis or saliva. Uh, we want to see what components are uh, in, contained in that sample. Um, so those two things, uh, E. coli pathogenic and non-pathogenic analyze, analysis of biomarkers uh, in a variety of samples uh, is what we're trying to do for the next six to 12 months and uh, trying to get all of that uh, documented and published and peer reviewed, uh, as well as uh, getting our FDA breakthrough designation with the FDA uh, is our priority. And uh, once we get past that, our focus will be on conducting the clinical trials for E. coli, and uh, that will give us like a 12 months. So that we're estimating a time frame of 12 months to go through the clinical trials and getting the regulatory approval. Exciting times. And look, I'll be uh, <laughs> making sure you share the, uh, the link to your site. I know there's a few cases and a few, um, a very clear overview of what Radio Life are doing. I, you know, really fascinating insight from my side. It's uh, to see a physical product and then how that's being supported by AI in such a, you know, effectively saving lives is, is been really, really interesting to talk about. Sergio, thanks so much for your, uh, your time this morning. And I, uh, yeah, really look forward to uh, seeing how you guys go. And obviously, fingers crossed with the FDA approval. I'll be, uh, I'll be keeping a keen, uh, keen eye out. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Alex. Thanks. Have a good morning. Appreciate it. You too.